0: Welcome back to another episode of the Go Within podcast, so happy to be back with another podcast. This time I'm sitting down with my friend Alex, Alex Kakia, who's been on the podcast before, and she's a part of our team here at Sanya. This chat is a little bit different. It's not me interviewing someone about their Go Within journey, as I usually do, but it's more just a general chat about me and Alex, especially focused on breathwork and how we can use breathwork for so many different ways along our inner journey to help us relax to help us heal trauma and everything in between so there's a lot more of me talking than alex probably in this one Um, but i'm very happy to share uh, my inspiration with breath work practices some of you may know some of you may have been to our breathing workshops here at sanya recently i've been doing additional training so my inspiration has really deepened for the spirit of the breath and all it can give us on our go within journey If you are interested in doing breathwork at at Sanya, we have constantly different workshops coming up. And um, personally, this kind of work is some of the things that I really enjoy most about the things we do at Sanya because they're very deep experiences. They're very connecting and um, they can actually really boost you along your inner journey and and help you make a lot of progress because they really are that powerful. So I hope you enjoy this one. This is my chat with Alex about breathwork. So welcome everyone to this episode of the Go In podcast. Um, here with Alex, Hi and everyone. we we've we've recorded this podcast <laughs> before, and we had some sound issues. So we set this intention to show up to talk about the breathing, but actually, kind of our inspiration today is just to jam, and we'll probably get to the breath at some point. But and I think it would just be nice to start, like we're both feeling a bit tired today, mm-hmm. and we're both a bit just. In that mood where we're just like, could easily do nothing. <laughs> and we're kind of... Probably need to do nothing. Probably need to do nothing. But we're pushed through anyway, and we're, we're recording this podcast. But I think it would be nice to just start a little bit on that note, because we were talking just before we started about how we both have this drive. And this drive is a beautiful thing, and it helps you achieve your goals. But at the same time, it can be a bit violent on the body. We've both been on this journey over the years to try and find that amount of output that is satisfying and gives you that fulfillment and sense of meaning but that doesn't push you into burnout that doesn't become yeah I think violence is quite a nice word yeah destructive like a harm to your own Uh system and I think it's something that a lot of women struggle with balancing these two sides of ourselves and the guilt of not being productive and when is self-care selfish and like managing all of this stuff is actually quite top of mind for a lot of people, and maybe we can just start there
1: yes uh-huh. and and also it's has to meet our own definition of of um you know what what is okay you know our productive our productivity levels and often we have this I was telling you know this idea of what let's say I look like as a success in my mind and when I'm not meeting that, I feel like a failure. And sometimes the drive is not just coming from, let's say, passion to express myself and follow my mission, but also trying to be a success, a successful human. And that's, I think, it's like doing the same thing, but one has an energy of let's say, trying to... Strain, maybe. uh, Tension and force. You're, like, really forcing something to happen. You're trying to make it happen faster as well because you want to reach somewhere faster rather than doing it from a different space, which is more honoring as well the flow of how fast something needs to happen in its own time and also taking care of yourself. Because for me, when I act from this wanting to reach somewhere then it's easier to to drop the self-care it's like the first thing that goes you know it's the first thing that goes out the window when suddenly I feel like oh I can't cope this morning I'm not going to do my meditation my yoga because I have to like keep up with everything otherwise I'm going to collapse
0: and also like the body doesn't want to meditate when it's straining right mm-hmm. like it's almost like aha uh-huh, you just it's it's hard to relax when your mind is creating mm-hmm. this tension I think it's really beautiful that you spoke about this kind of image of success that we have in our own minds because it's something I come across quite often in my clients that they they set a goal that they just created from their mind and then they struggle to meet that goal and they force themselves to meet that goal and they harm themselves along the process but that goal was something that sometimes we don't even realize that we created mm-hmm. as nice as quest- like if we just stop and say like is that really necessary like do i need to achieve that mm-hmm. in 6 months instead of 2 years We'll be like, actually, no, it's fine. But we don't have that awareness sometimes to realize what goals we've put ourselves under pressure for fulfilling that actually don't even really need to be there.
1: Yes, and it's like, you know, like, let's say from my perspective, let's say my goal is, I guess, to express myself in a way that I can help others in the way that I feel like I'm good at, which is often just let's say, bringing people together and creating community events and, like, spaces that really can nourish more of this this work that we do. But, you know, then when I create this idea that I have to achieve something or, you know, be balanced financially and also have freedom to take care of myself and I create all of these, like, t- boxes that need to be checked so that I can feel like, okay... I'm managing, I'm doing well and I'm success. I mean, when we say success, everyone has their own version of it, right? What looks different to other people doesn't mean that I have to be something, you know, overly out there. But it still can be too high. That creates then more tension and pressure because you always feel like a, fa- a failure. For sure. I mean, the, the example that's coming to mind is um,
0: like a mom who feels like she needs to have the house tidy, for example. And she will stress herself out to make sure that the house is up to this specific standard that she wants. Mm -hmm. And she will torture herself and not do other things which are more important because she has to reach this goal. But that goal can easily be changed to say, like, listen, there's more important things right now, so if the house is a bit messy today, it's okay. But, like, we, we, we become so oppressed by these kind of goals, which very often are not even very important at all.
1: Yes, and and the, the thing is, then you kind of get into this state, right? It's, it's almost like a hypnotic state of tension. And you're surviving, you're trying to survive, and you're trying to meet all these needs, and you're trying to... And you feel like if you just stop, then, you, you know, it's all going to collapse and nothing's going to work. Like, this feeling of, oh, I don't trust that if I actually... I stop doing all these things that I'm going to be okay and... I probably will be in a better place but it's the like fear is, right you're in fear it's also like when you stop you are not in a better place straight away because if you yes.
0: stop then you're going to realize that you put this goal on cleaning up the house because you're trying to soothe this feeling within you that you're not good enough mm-hmm. and if i keep the house clean enough then maybe i can't feel good enough mm-hmm. for myself mm-hmm. or my family or, or whatever and yes yeah, sometimes if we let go of the doing we will come face to face with that emotion And we're not always well-equipped to do that and to just sit in those uncomfortable things. And I guess this might be a nice place to transition to the breath, right? Because the breath is such a useful tool to just help us breathe through these feelings, like... Mm it's kind of hard to just sit with them without moving them, right? Like, this is why, like, breathing, body movement, things like massage, even just, like, dance or whatever it would be, kind of helps you move through that energy instead of just sitting with it and feeling stagnant. Um, And the breath is a really beautiful tool to do that as well. Like, oh, I just breathe into the feeling that I'm not good enough. I breathe it in, I accept it, and then I breathe it out, I let it go. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I realize that... That feeling was a total illusion and actually I don't need to reach this goal that I thought I needed to reach to soothe that emotion. Actually, I can just sit with it and work through it.
1: Yeah. Yes, and and I think the craziest thing for me is that I put a lot of intention to feeling my emotions and really trying to not suppress things. But I still, you know, after, let's say, I can go on a bit of a... I call it a train. I get onto this train and things start moving faster and I start doing more things. And then the more things I do, the less space I have to feel. And then the more things I need to do to like hide that pain that I'm not feeling. And it's so unconscious, you know, and I think I'm really beware. And I really know, you know, I'm really like making sure I'm not suppressing anything. And then... At some point, normally after about three months, I kind of hit, hit a breaking point and I realize I'm really so far away from myself. And I'm so stuck in in feeling overstimulated and just like, oh, I have to do that and I have to do that, I have to call that person and do that and do that. And every day I wake up and I'm like in this kind of, if I don't do all these things, then everything's going to collapse. And it's a complete illusion, you know, and you get so caught into it. And then when you stop and you do something like the breath, you know, these practices... You realize like you're fooling yourself. You're (laughs) fooling yourself, you know, and you know it. You know when when all the emotions starts to arise, you're like, of course, so I was doing. There, there they are. Uh I had this thing about where I realized I always want to do more because I feel impatient, and um, at the time there was my partner, and he went to get my jacket, and I was like suddenly all the stuff came up about my family and some discomfort about like some tension in my family and it was really painful and really uncomfortable and it started coming up a lot for me and suddenly I was like how long is it taking it's taking really long like I'm cold and we wanted to go see sunset and it's taking really long and then I'm like but we're not in a hurry why am I suddenly really impatient because it hasn't come back quick enough with my jacket and then I realized that the impatience was this program that came up for me to distract me from that, that discomfort that was arising and it was so clear to me I was like whoa I just became impatient out of nowhere or something that wasn't I wasn't that cold and we weren't in a rush to go anywhere but the mind was like where is he where is he oh I'm getting frustrated because I'm impatient but really I was just escaping it you know And then I realized that this pattern has been going on for a long time you know This is why I love the book, The
0: Untethered Soul. I don't know if you've read it, but, you know... I I have your book. (laughs) Thanks. I
1: was reading it this week,
0: again. It's so good. It's that kind of book which you just read again and again to remind yourself. That that, um, paragraph really stuck in my mind where he's getting out of the car and he has to walk between the car and the house, and it's very cold in the snow. And as he's walking, his brain starts going like, oh, it's really cold. Oh, but you'll soon be there. Like, oh, you should have got another coat. And his brain starts sort of translating. Basically, you're cold, right? And you can either just be like, oh, I'm cold and just feel the coldness. Or you can let your mind kind of digest and kind of make sense and, and... I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but like... narrate this commentary that kind of gets you through it in a way. But then you're in your mind as opposed to being in your body. And then we get stuck there because the mind is trying to make sense of all of these experiences because just that pure sensation of feeling the cold is intolerable. So better like shove it up to the mind and stay thinking about it. Mm -hmm. That's just a simple thing of I'm feeling cold, let alone if you feel like you let someone down or you feel like you disappointed yourself, or you feel like you're not getting the love that you need in a relationship or whatever, right? Things that are a lot, that cut a lot deeper than, oh, it's cold, <laughs> right? Like if your mind is gonna make that much noise just about it's cold, let alone- When something is a Let alone the journeys it's gonna take you on just to es- escape from this space stuff. And yeah, the breath, I like to say, like you can't hide, you can't hide from the breath. And in fact, in these kind of situations where things are emotionally tough, we shallow breathe. We don't breathe deeply into the body. And I was really surprised to find out on this breath course that I'm doing that seven out of 10 people are chronically hyperventilating, where basically we're breathing so shallow that we're breathing too fast. Mm. And when we breathe too fast, we end up in a state of low carbon dioxide in the body. And what that means is that oxygen, first of all, we're not getting enough, even volume of oxygen into the lungs, but then also,
1: <laughs> your mic's falling down again. Slipping down, I like, I'm slipping down my body.
0: <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, like um, when we don't have enough carbon dioxide, there, there isn't a good enough exchange between the oxygen and the carbon dioxide. So low carbon dioxide means the body is not as efficient as absorbing mm-hmm. oxygen. And this, there's a lot of science basically behind why shallow breeding affects us on so many
1: different levels. But then how does it affect you, the low carbon dioxide just, you don't function as well? Well,
0: oxygen is like a fuel for our cells, right? Like uh, all of our cells and all of our major organs need oxygen. And if there isn't enough carbon dioxide, then that exchange between oxygen and carbon dioxide to get the oxygen in the blood is not going to be as, as efficient. So you're not going to get enough oxygen into the bloodstream. Um, or into the, into the cells of your body. And that's, that creates a lot of different issues, right? Um, but they're, they're, it's, it's so deep, the science of it. I'm not an expert of, on this, so um, I can point people in resources for this. But even things like um, the variability of your heart rate, um, the function of your immune system, the pH of your blood, these are all regulated by levels of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the body. Uh, but what was what was interesting for me is just this fact that like we're breathing too shallow and too fast, so that means we're not getting enough oxygen into into the cells of the body. So, and probably it's it's a, like related with our nervous system. Right? It's a chronic stressor for the nervous system, mm-hmm. right? Um. So, actually, this is a sign to your body that you're in a state of stress. <laughs> so. This so the nervous system can affect the breath, right? In the same way. Yes, they're totally interconnected. Um, but the nervous system, the main issue is when we're stuck in these chronic straight states of stress. And this kind of breathing pattern is just a sign that you're in a chronic state of stress, which means because you're not breathing deep enough, when we breathe deeply automatically, like when we're stressed, we don't breathe. Mm-hmm. When we're When we're relaxed, we just go... That's actually one of the body's natural breathing patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, so much slower and slower and deeper is the aim of breathing in general, and from that we get mm-hmm. a lot of different health but benefits. You're
1: breathing doesn't mean we're, let's say, breathing
0: well. No, because again, if you're breathing too sh- too shallow and too fast, you're in a state of stress, and
1: you're causing you're putting more stress on your body. So, like for for people listening, for example, and for myself, how how can I know if I'm you know, breathing too fast? or
0: You can just count your breaths per minute, okay. right? So it's very simple. Like, if you're breathing more than, like, 15 breaths per minute, you're in, like, not a great breathing pattern. Okay. Um, Obviously not when you're exercising, because when you're exercising you need to breathe deeper. But anything, like, above 15, especially above 20, is, like, you know, very hardcore. Anything, like, the ideal for practice would be to slow your breaths down to, like, six to ten breaths per minute mm-hmm. so for people listening like if you breathe in count to five and breathe out count to five that's 10 seconds for one breath that's six breaths per minute mm-hmm. right so you can do exercises like that you can do another simple one
1: where you so breathe if you, in if we do this test and we realize okay i'm actually breathing a lot more per minute then trying this what you just suggested will help to regulate it
0: Exactly. It would slow down the rhythm of your breath from like maybe it's at 15. If you're counting, then you're slowing your breath down. And
1: what I can imagine that would come up for me is that if I, especially if I know I'm in that space of like overstimulation, I would feel impatient with that, you know? And I'd be like, oh, because sometimes I feel that about breath work. I feel like. I know it's really good for me and I'm like oh I don't feel like breathing you know doing some breath work
0: yeah because you don't want to relax yes right like the stress hormones are addictive once you're in fight or flight this is the problem it's much easier to stay there than to get out of it Mm -hmm. Um, and this is why sometimes we need a type of breathing pattern that kind of pierces through right so there are breathing um, patterns that do that where you breathe very deeply, but very fast, actually, it's kind of the opposite of what I was just saying, where you kind of induce hyperventilation for those few moments, and you kind of give that blast of stress to your body. And when you can sort of tolerate that level of stress, you're building up your resilience as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that's needed, because to switch from like stress to relaxation is not that easy. But when you use these breathing patterns, the Wim Hof breathing is one of them. Um, but there's also another one called 20 Connected Breaths, which was um, like uh, taught by the Leonard Orr School of Breathing. You just like breathe really deep. It's in a specific uh, f- a formula, uh-huh, in a specific formula, but these 20 very deep breaths. And once you finish them, it's like your body then just goes like, oh, I can relax. Right, um, So you're kind of like a bit of a hack, you know, when you feel that resistance to slowing the breath down. Um, this morning I was in court and was feeling quite stressed, and I tried to slow my breath down. But I couldn't because I had so much stress in my body, and actually what I needed to do was like release that tension Mm -hmm. and you can't always release that tension through slowing the breath down because when you're in a hyped up state you actually need to release carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. so in that kind of situation if I tried to slow my breath down I would be physiologically my body would not be ready to take that step and even mentally I would feel like you were just saying like Oh, I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm, I'm too I'm too much in a stressed state to go into like a, a meditation, right? Mm-hmm. But with this kind of breathing where you just mm-hmm. you don't you're not even giving your body time to <laughs> decide if it wants to relax or not, and you're just giving it this like real mm-hmm. um, increase in the intensity of the breath. And then after 20 breaths, then you'd be able to slow your breath down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's the exact same principle behind things like ice baths. Where you're inducing stress to bring resilience into your nervous system. So they're, they're kind of two different schools, right? You have the one where you're actually relaxing the nervous system, slowing the breath down, teaching yourself how to be able to relax as a baseline. Mm-hmm. But then when you're in a situation where you're like wanting to break through into a sort of different state then you actually want something that is a healthy stressor on the body mm. to reset the system
1: okay but ironically then you end up too getting relaxed
0: yes. yes
1: after yes because again like you're um, even with the ice baths and these sort of things then it's really relaxing
0: yes after. And after that process exactly because it's like the ice bath right like you go in and it's stressful but then you relax into it And then the next time you go in, your body is already kind of gotten used to being able to relax at that amount of stress. Mm -hmm. So it's the same in our daily life, right? Like Mm -hmm. I could get a text saying, I have an unpaid bill and that would be like, (gasps) you know, and and really stress me out. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I have more resilience in my system, I would read that same text message and be like, okay, I can handle it, Mm -hmm. right? It's exactly the same thing. Like when we train our body on a physiological level, to be resilient to stress automatically that translate into mental and emotional resilience.
1: Yeah and also resilient
0: in the face of fears that arise. Definitely. It's also very interesting because a lot of breathing practices use the breath hold where we hold our breath and when we hold our breath we're actually increasing carbon dioxide in the body. And in fact, it's now quite a trend, especially in sports performance, to train your CO2 level, uh, CO2 tolerance levels. So people need to, if we did a test now, right, we could test how long you would hold your breath. Depending on how long you would hold your breath would give us quite a good indication of how resilient your nervous system is to stress. Mm. Right, because when we hold our breath, it's a stressor. Right? Like that carbon dioxide rising in the system, eventually it's going to get to the point where it's so stressful that you need to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. take a breath. So if you have, if you can hold your breath, for example, for less than 40 seconds, that is a sign that there's maybe a low resilience to stress. Anything above, especially above 60, is a, is a high tolerance. And it's the exact same thing. They use this CO2 tolerance, not just to be able to increase the body's ability to deal with stress on a physical level but also on a mental and emotional level it's interesting because then there's kind of like
1: often often with stress I feel like um I don't really think about how do I become better at dealing with the stress I more think about how to reduce the stress you know and like sometimes I feel like I want to achieve certain things and I think do I just have to let go of these dreams because my health is being affected because I'm doing too much or do you know or is it like in that case remove the stress but you know after what we're talking about it's it you know it, learning how to be better at dealing with the stress is also an option but there's a balance right cuz then it's like I'm going to increase my resilience so I can just deal with more stress and create you know because there's a reason also why you're I think also it's it's the way we
0: phrase the things in our life, right? Like it's... You're going to laugh, but what's coming to my mind is that um, statue of Jesus on the Tapino, on the hill opposite Tapino. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know if you know the one where he's stumbling under the cross. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I can't remember who it was exactly, but comes to carry the cross for him for some time. And that statue for me and that, that stage of the cross has a really beautiful message in the sense of like, no need to put down your cross and give up. Like, you have a vision of getting there, right, making it there. Mm -hmm. Like, we're talking about a metaphor here, right? Like, Mm -hmm. his goal is to get to where he needs to go. The burden of the cross, his burden is too heavy and he feels like he's going to stumble. And you can have those friends who come and say, oh, just you know, this goal is too big, like, it's too stressful, just give up, like, why are you doing this to yourself? On my mind. Yes. (laughs) Or you can have that friend who's like, hey, don't worry, like, this goal is meaningful, like, let me help you for a little while, right? Let Let me carry it a bit to release the weight off you. And I really love this metaphor, I think it's really beautiful, because some goals are worth pursuing, right? Like, there are things that if we achieve are going to fulfill us on a very deep level. And that comes along with stress. There are other stresses which we create for no reason, which don't have a meaningful goal at the end of it. It's just mm-hmm. like stressing ourselves about what other people think or, you know, things in our mind that are not necessarily meaningful. So I think we need to also pass out what are the different stresses in our life. And what value they're bringing to our life i mean if i look at something like sanya sanya really stressed me out when i started it in the first 3 years i got super burnt out i was really like the burden of the cross of sanya was heavy it was weighing heavily on me and i could have easily said you know what on earth is this like i should i should work less you know maybe maybe this business isn't for me like you know i don't need the stress in my life but actually just building up my resilience to be able to tolerate that amount of stress and to reframe also the stress in my mind. And obviously there were lots of different things I did to get through that that phase. Now I look back and I'm like, wow, like that stress was so worth it, Mm. right? But other stresses, you know, they're not adding anything to our life. They're just destructive and there's no purpose behind them. So I think it is good to build our resilience to stress because there are a lot of worthy things that... Mm. That are worth being stressful. <laughs> guess.
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just pondering about what you're saying. Like Michael Michael Singer Singer, who who wrote that book. He mentioned um, his other book, The Surrender Experiment. I was so amazed to hear about it. You know how he went from like, you know, I don't know. Meditating, I don't know, I think like six hours a day. And then, then by the end of it, uh, having this, what was it? like, Software, bil- bil- software a billion bil- dollar company and managing, I don't know, thousands of employees and sort of still living in his forest um, and maintaining still a lot of peace, you know? Like when I read that book, I was yeah. like, wow, it's possible, you know? Not that I want to have that, that life exactly, but... <laughs> like I was like oh okay so you can have a lot of responsibility and take care of a lot of things and still maintain a lot of peace and self-care and like reading that book allowed me to open let's say my mind to the possibilities because then if you so, sort of let's say fail and you keep getting into like burnout which I often do I know sometimes you do as well no. <laughs> sometimes <Never>. um <sighs> Uh, you kind of start to lose a bit of like confidence in yourself you know and you started like it's not possible and then you create this belief right that oh it's not possible to do all these things I really want to do without getting burnt out because I keep getting burnt out so that must be why so it means I must stop all all my goals and stop all the things I want to achieve because I'm hurting myself so when I read this book and I thought okay like you know I'm just I have to figure that out <laughs> Yeah, I think, like, uh, it was interesting for
0: me because that book really super inspired me, The Surrender Experiment. It's a must-read to anyone who's listening. It's such a beautiful book. And I read that, and then, obviously, I I actually had a life experience that was very similar. I ended up, you know, going from, Mm -hmm. like, working for myself, just having Sanya, doing lots of meditation. over having (laughs) (laughs) Sanya. Over over COVID, like, I spent a lot of time meditating with my clients. I was in a very zen-out place, And when I started working with Shireburn, with my dad's software company, my schedule, my life, the amount of time, the amount of responsibility that I had really shifted. And it was really interesting for me. Like a lot of people ask me, how do you manage your time? Because I have so much to do. And for me, I see it more as a thing of like, how do I manage my nervous system? Mm -hmm. Like if I can keep my nervous system in a stable place and stop it getting into fight or flight then I can actually do quite a lot but as soon as my nervous system gets stuck in fight or flight then I become drained very easily, I get very unproductive and and you sort of kind of go into these downward spirals and this is why I think breathing is so powerful because of all the techniques that I've used over the years to manage the nervous system it's by far the most accessible, because it's the easiest to get started in, by far the most powerful as well. I mean, I would include meditation in with breathing, but very often it's a lot easier to breathe than to meditate, and the breathing leads you into a meditative state. In fact, Mm -hmm. pranayama is a core of meditation philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's something that we all really need to learn how to do, because some of these practices actually can affect you instantly. Mm -hmm. I've... um, been really using the 20 connected breaths of Leonard Orr and whenever I see my nervous system going into fight or flight I just take these 20 really vigorous breaths um, and then just let my body relax and it's really amazing how much you can regulate yourself and it also gives you this awareness of when you just need to stop right? like you can tell your body is in that fight or flight state like fight or flight feels good till it doesn't And when you're on that edge where it's going from, like, I just had a coffee and I'm feeling really buzzed and I'm productive and I'm getting loads of stuff done and I'm writing this and it's feeling good. And then suddenly you're like, oh, I'm jittery. Uh, And oh, like now suddenly my concentration is like jumping from thing to thing. And now I'm like feeling like I just, you know, took (laughs) cocaine or something, right? Like that overstimulated, horrible feeling. Like that, when you notice it and you get that sensitivity to be able to tell when your body is telling you hey, I'm out of balance. It's actually really beautiful to be able to have the wisdom and the grace to say, okay, now's the time to to stop. And no matter how important what I'm doing is, I need to stop and just give a bit of love to my body, bring back that sense of calm. Gives you a reset, like... Yeah, because, again, I'm going to need to be stressed, maybe tomorrow, to get something done and to have that, like, high-focused state. Like, stress is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, in fact, not many people know that cortisone and... Um, adrenaline are actually anti-inflammatory till they're not right so like short term short term in the body they're actually anti-inflammatory they actually upregulate your immune system so i sports is, is good yeah and uh, that that's why like we enjoy being in that sort of awake and focused states why we drink caffeine because we we want to get into that like stress state where you're just stressed enough right? Maybe stress is not even the word, but like hyper-focused. Activated. Yeah, you're activated, but you're calm. Mm-hmm. But in order to be able to sustain that kind of state regularly, you have to get out of it and rest and let your body replenish so that when it goes back into stress, it feels like a relaxed, hyper-aware state as opposed to a ba- bad buzz, maybe, is the best way to talk about it. Or so. really Exactly. Tense. Yeah. Um, So it's really about knowing when to engage in the nervous system and get that healthy stress and knowing how to switch off. Mm -hmm. And switching off is a lot harder than switching on. And most of us, that's where our problem lies. And that's Mm -hmm. why we talk about that more than how to get stressed, because I think we all know, Mm -hmm. right, like just take a double shot of espresso and you'll feel, you know, Mm -hmm. buzzed up, like ready to, to focus or whatever. But how do we sleep at night? Like, how do we get into bed at night and not maintain that hypervigilant yes. mental state so that we're replaying everything that went in our day and we're worrying about what's gonna to happen tomorrow? Like, how do we flip that and let the body go? Yeah, yeah. How do we teach the body to let go? How do we teach the body to rest and relaxation? That actually is an art that can be learned very well from the breath. And even just a simple question of, Take a breath in and take a breath out and notice two things, which one is easier and which one is longer. Okay. Some people find it very easy to breathe in, very difficult to breathe out. And what that can tell us is they're very good at collecting feelings, experiences, and so on. They're not very good at letting go. So these kind of people usually have like a lot of fears, a lot of anxiety, because it's difficult for them to let go and trust, or let go of control, or let go of possessions. Other people find it very easy to breathe out, not as easy to breathe in. Those are the kind of people who are constantly overgiving, constantly overdoing. Oh, right? Not <laughs> what is it, what is it hard to do. To give ourselves to receive what's the breath in the ultimate gift of receptivity giving ourselves the gift of oxygen we do, we're not good at doing I'm that we're good so at good. <laughs> giving other oh, benefits as well
1: you're, yeah. not, you're holding back yeah
0: definitely but even that right like that is the most primal gift that we can give ourselves is oxygen yes like we can't stop giving ourselves oxygen ah. for more than a few minutes and it's very, it's a beautiful metaphor to ask yourself. You're trying to see which one is. No,
1: no, I'm just like relaxing a bit <laughs> yeah. in, in, in that understanding. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. It's it's beautiful just to, like the breath is such a teacher. It, it's incredible. I've been doing different kind of breathing practices for so many years, but there's, there's always another nuance to it. And even though it's the most simple thing of... Like, it's just breathing in and breathing out. Like, how much more complicated could it be? But you could study the breath for years and keep going into different nuances and all the different ways that it it
1: interacts with our physical, mental and emotional bodies. And the thing is, I guess guess it can get a bit confusing, right? Because there's so many different types of breathwork out there. And now more and more it's gaining popularity. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there a bit confused about... um, you know the different types of breath work I don't know if you want to talk about that a bit because yeah I think it's it's very good you to to, to discuss best in me yeah. <laughs> so I've tried I, them all but I also uh don't really know I mean not always know which would be the best at which time you know or I guess for people who never tried anything then you know yeah I think um
0: if we classify the breathing exercises in these two broad categories of like resting and calming the nervous system, and then a kind of micro stress. And there are obviously a lot in between and a lot that kind of intermix with them. The relaxation ones are ones to do on a daily basis, right? Because we need to relax and we need to de-stress. Having said that, there are some people who are too calm and they need to like rev up their system. So people like that would do really well with something like a Wim Hof, which is a very activating breath. It's a kind of stressful breath. Any breath which sort of is very deep and fast um, is activating for the nervous system. So as a general rule, I would say most people would do better with relaxing unless they're super relaxed and they need something to like activate, like they need motivation, they need drive, they need they need to feel less calm <laughs> than they do. Um, those... Activating ones can also be used for specific healing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: techniques, not just, you know, something like the Wim Hof breath they would do on a daily basis, if you're that way inclined, right, if you need that kind of activation. For me personally, the Wim Hof breath is not something I can do on a daily basis because I'm a very active and stimulated person by nature. I prefer to do calming breathing exercises and slowing my breath and nourishing my nervous system. But from time to time, if I'm feeling like an emotional pileup or if I'm feeling like a lack of clarity and I want to break through and really get more clarity on what I'm feeling and experiencing, then the activating breaths are very good for releasing trauma Mm -hmm. and, and breaking through into a higher level of consciousness. There is a certain magic and either science hasn't quite caught, caught up with, you know, the explanation of this, or maybe I have not got enough knowledge about this, but with something like the Wim Hof breathing or something like a holotropic breathing with the very vigorous or even a rebirthing technique, there is something that happens there where the level of consciousness is elevated. Mm-hmm. Now, some breathers say that it's due to the hyperventilation. Other people say it's not. It doesn't really matter. The fact is like this very vigorous breathing triggers something in the mind. And it does help you get clarity. It's kind of like going into a trip into your own psyche. And from time to time that's needed, right? Like it's it's all good to, you know, make incremental changes and like lower our breathing and nourish our body. But sometimes you just need a bit of oomph in your practice. It's gonna help you break through a plateau that you're at. So those kind of vigorous breathings, um, we do the holotropic style. Well, it's, it's a kind of mix of different styles I've learned over the years, but you could say it's the closest to that. It's a very intensive, very vigorous, but most of the time people come out of that saying that it's a life-changing experience, that they had realizations about their life or about people that completely shifts their understanding of their purpose, mm-hmm. why they feel the pains that they feel, why they have the loves that they do. You know, and these are very significant um, experiences. I read recently this this sentence, which really stuck in my mind, which said, altered states creates altered traits. And that is the beauty of an altered state of mind, right? It's like when people have a very deep spiritual experience, it does change the baseline of how we feel in this world, how we frame our reality, how we frame our pain. Pain can become a lot more meaningful when... There's purpose behind it. And sometimes we need that clarity that comes from these kind of experiences. Mm-hmm. So yes, they're a bit more intense and you do have to be kind of psychologically ready to go deep because you never know when you access this kind of state what will come out. They can be very intense emotional experience sometimes negative uh, emotions come out sometimes very deep bliss and peace and love but we never know Mm -hmm. so we do need to be kind of mentally prepared for an emotionally intense experience but similar to how we were talking about the stress tolerance when you get comfortable with an emotional intensity the emotions of your day-to-day life become a lot more manageable
1: and also it's easier to not suppress them right because you're so used to them being there Whereas, like, if we're not allowing this discomfort, emotional discomfort, as soon as it comes, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to feel this, you know. And it's so unconscious, that program of like, I'm going to, like I said, with my impatience, right? My 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 whole system makes this excuse to not feel it. And uh, it, it, it can reset that, you know. Definitely.
0: I think it's one of the biggest gifts, to be honest, that breathing has given me is... Being able to tolerate more intense emotion. And tolerate is maybe a bit of a dry word because the reality is that when you are more at peace with the way that you feel, you feel like the 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 full kaleidoscope of what humans are wired to feel. I mean, we are biologically programmed to feel emotion. I would say it's one of the most beautiful parts of being a human. Is it easy? No. Can it overwhelm us? Yes. But what is more beautiful than being able to feel deeply? And as Brenna Brown says in her very famous TED Talk, you can't selectively choose which emotions to feel deeply and which ones not to feel at all. So if you want to feel really deep joy and really deep gratitude, then you do have to be willing to feel your deepest pains. And you get to a point where you get better at it. So it doesn't, it's not even as bad, you know, like in the beginning, we're just clunky. We don't know how to feel our pain. So we just, we don't hold it well, you know, we, we struggle with it, we resist it, we reject it. Uh-huh. And that's actually what creates the pain. Yeah. Yeah. Suffering. Sadness itself can be a very beautiful experience. It's the resistance and the rejection of that sadness and saying, I shouldn't feel like this. And I don't have time to feel like this. and poor me that I feel like this and how dare they make me feel like this. It's all of those things that make us feel that we shouldn't be feeling this that actually creates all of the problems. And that's why the breath is so beautiful because you're actually going to the emotion with the breath. You're saying the breath in, as I deepen it, what am I doing? I'm deepening that sensation. Instead of just breathing and taking that much in, I'm I'm taking that much life in, I'm taking that much of my own emotions in. And welcoming them in and some of them might feel good and some of them might feel less good but then I know that I always can rely on my breath to take it back out again and let me relax and accept that flow of emotion through me and it's it's a very empowering feeling as well because the reason why we get anxious about life is because we feel like we can't tolerate the emotion that life is going to trigger why do we feel tense when we go into a crowded room and we feel like we're going to be socially awkward why because we don't like we know that we don't tolerate well that feeling of standing out in the crowd we don't we don't tolerate well that feeling of being socially isolated of being judged or being looked at whereas the more we rest into that and we're like oh i can be okay with that then we can walk into that room without all of this pressure of like, oh. I'm going to have to feel this emotion that I'm not comfortable feeling. Mm -hmm. So it's very empowering because you can walk into more situations with that knowledge that whatever life triggers in you,
1: you can digest, you can process, you can breathe through it, and you're going to be okay. Yes, and also not being afraid of your own emotions, right? Because I hear this a lot from people that, oh, no, I don't like feeling my emotions, you know, because it's, it's scary because we're not used to it, right? And then the more you get used to it, it's like, oh... You know, it's more like, for me, it's crossing that line of like, then once once I start crying, it it almost feels great, you know. And it's more like getting to that point of allowing the the pop, the release, you know. Yeah, and also not not having to get to the point where it
0: has to be a pop, you know, but where you can just process your emotions in real time, you know, so you're not even letting it build yeah, up, to the, up the to the point where it has to be this dramatic release, but you're just like, yes. you know, yes. um, letting it roll out in whatever way is appropriate to you. And yes. I think, honestly, I can say that from my experiences so far with meditation, this is one of the most important things to any spiritual practice is being able to feel. And in fact, I always say that for me, it's, Beautiful that in the yoga tradition, teachers of meditation, when they reach a level of mastery, they are given the title Rasa. So teachers uh, Rasa means one who feels, one who teaches from feeling. Acharya means teacher. So these kind of teachers, they have this Rasa Acharya and then the name. Mm-hmm. And it always really struck me that they have to put in that word feeling mm-hmm. into it, and it's so beautiful because things like gratitude, things like love, things like peace, these are subtle feelings. They're subtle vibrations. And if you don't sort your way through the heavier and the dense emotion, you're never going to manage to be able to dance with the light ones. Mm -hmm. And coincidentally or not, all of these subtle emotions are actually the thing that brings most joy and fulfillment into our lives. Something very simple, but... You can walk outside and see a really beautiful plant or a beautiful flower or a beautiful tree and you can feel this overwhelming sense of the beauty of life and the gratitude for all the bounty and all the blessings. It's very difficult to do that if you're resisting disappointment or if you're suppressing your anger. You're not going to be able to look at that flower and feel its essence and feel the beauty of it. And this is why emotional release and emotional healing and spirituality, they go hand in hand. They're, they're, you know, like two sides of the same coin. And we often just forget to look after our emotional selves. You know, we spend so much time and energy and money beautifying our outer appearance going to the gym trying to lose weight doing our nails doing our hair men (laughs) sculpting their facial hair whatever they do right like so much time into the outer but then our emotional lives we don't spend really much time learning how to feel and how to communicate which okay how to feel we've spoken about a lot how to communicate then is going into a whole other topic
1: Hand in hand. Yes, because I guess it's not what we're seeing, right, in society. As we're growing up, we're not seeing people do that, so we're, you know, we get influenced by what we see other people do, and it's not a a very common thing to do, you know, to sculpt that emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. It's um, not even something we learn in schools. You know, I hope deser- that's gonna change. Yes, it deserves
0: its own, you know, its own subject. Yeah. I had a friend whose kid got given an emotional kaleidoscope at school, right, with like the whole different types of emotions, so that they can identify what they're feeling. And uh, I was really happy to hear that. I think it's really beautiful to be giving kids this emotional education. But I think more than more than that. You know, this idea of holding space for emotion, whether it's within ourself, like, okay, I feel anger. Should I say, oh, no, that's wrong. I shouldn't feel it. Or should I just welcome it and hold space for it and let it be there and let it teach me? And I think it's the same with children. We spend so much time ch- telling children how they should feel and not actually equipping them to be able to hold space for their own feelings and for each other's feelings. And, uh, you know, it was Mother's Day yesterday and I, I wrote this post on Instagram because I feel so much respect. I have a lot of mothers <laughs> um, who come, you know, to Sanya to breathe and to meditate and to work on themselves. And, and many of them are really motivated by a desire to just be better for their kids, to be able to hold space and give them love in a purer way. And it really touches my heart. I think, you know, that um, that love that we have for each other and for our children can really motivate us to hold space in a better way. And I think it's really beautiful Um, Yesterday, Lydia was talking about Mother's Day. It's a friend of ours who was on the guest on the podcast. I forgot which episode, but you can find her. um, Beautiful healer and psychotherapist. And she said, wouldn't it be beautiful if the relationship between mother and child was reflected in all of our other relationships? Mm. Right, like that unconditional love, that acceptance, that, you know, ability to... Like be so sensitive to someone else's emotional world and emotional lives. And it really touched my heart that 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 comment, you know. And I, I think it's um something that is worth meditating on and reflecting on, like mm. what are the dynamics of all the different relationships in our life and how well do we hold space, how well do we give that unconditional love?
1: Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> I feel like I need to breathe now. <laughs> it's um, uh, a nice, <sighs>
0: scientifically proven to be the most powerful breathing exercise that the body doesn't actually want every five minutes. Yes? Yes. Okay. Physiological okay. side. It's really good. <laughs> yes.
1: Amazing this oh. course you're doing. <laughs> well, I'm really
0: benefiting from it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's really nice. I've, I feel very inspired. Through,
1: through this yes. yeah I think it's it's so funny because it's like something that's I think we all need but it's not even so accessible you know I mean of course you offer a lot of these things at Sanya, but still it's not accessible in terms of it's not so common or Um, well-known that these things can really, really, really hurt people a lot, so deeply, you know. And sometimes I I feel a bit sad when I I see... Obviously, it's always a reflection of myself, but I see, like, a lot of disconnection in the world and among people, like, among people who are, let's say, strangers or even people within their own families, with their own parents, um, even just people with their children, you know. It's like we get so caught up in in life and survival that we miss that really really pure deep connection and often we're blocked by our own fears insecurities limiting beliefs you know stuck emotion and tension and there are some really easy tools like this that are like magic in a way you know and what uh, can you imagine the world if like this was just a, a normal thing that we did, like, I don't know, brushing our teeth, <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> do some emotional brushing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I always remember Carl's metaphor of the sweeping, uh-huh. you know, so don't let that pile up, get too big, but sweep it every day. Mm yeah i think i think so it's it's really beautiful we still have a long way to go to emotional bringing
1: hygiene. yeah 100 percent emotional hygiene and emotional learning as well and um, you last time you said like about exercise i really love that metaphor you know how we like we, we take care of our body we do exercise on a regular basis you know and this is like another form of exercise the breath work right definitely like we need the exercise for our mind right
0: like uh, Unfortunately, fight or flight and overstimulation makes the mind weak. Um, in fact, if we look at focus levels over the last decade, they have gone from like 40 minutes to a couple of minutes. I think We've lost our ability to discipline our own minds. Mm. And another reason why I love that book, The Untethered Soul, is because it shows how much suffering is caused by a mind that is running wild. And... Mm. Just like we train a muscle, we do need to train the mind, because if the mind will run wild, it will it will destroy us. The mind can be very paranoid, it can be very untrusting, it can be very judgmental, it can be very fear-based, because the mind, in a way, is very connected to our ego and our need to separate and distinguish ourselves. I'm talking about ego here from a yogic perspective, not from a gestalt perspective, because they have a different uh, definition of it. That ego in the sense of like, that false sense of I being separate from others and this need to constantly um, assert my separation and uh, assert that my value is more than those around me that I am separate from. Mm -hmm. So the mind is constantly playing that game. And that's a very unpeaceful game. Right, like we are at peace when we're connected mm-hmm. when we're together when we're loving we're the most beautiful experience in life or take you out of your own ego they you know even just looking at nature why is that beautiful because we feel one with nature we feel our sense of self expanding why does falling in love feel so good because again our sense of self has expanded yet we're constantly sort of defending ourselves against <laughs> that feeling which most brings us joy um And also it's what we most want as well. Yes, yes. Um, This phrase is coming to mind, which... um it's from a, a, a book about uh, spiritual discipleship and, and it says, you know, the student comes to the teacher to be shown the truth, but is constantly defending him or herself from that truth, right? Because the truth will break our ego. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mind is constantly trying to cling to its control and its identity and its separation. So it's very neurotic and its thoughts are not very helpful. And, you know, the breathing and meditation and many of these other holistic practices, they teach you how to train your mind, just like you would train the body. Breathing, meditating, they actually bring discipline to the mind. They, they teach the mind how to focus on the present moment, whether it's the feeling of the breath, whether it's the object of concentration in your meditation. They still the mind and stop it running wild, which is quite hard and, and people know this. You know, most people come to learn meditation and say, I can't do it, I'm so restless, my mind's all over the place. Yes, it is, that's fine. But let's try and just bring it to a little bit of stillness because in that stillness, we're in that connection. Mm -hmm. We're out of our ego in that stillness when the mind stops. And it's so satisfying. It feels so good. It feels so liberating and so peaceful and happy and joyful. But without the exercise for that mind, then the mind will just keep running wild. And again, going back to those altered states, you know, of the holotropic kind of experience these kind of experiences help you see beyond the tricks of your mind. Mm-hmm. They, it crumbles, you know, the arguments of your mind of why you don't like this person, for example, right? So you can maybe have an experience of a particular person in your life hurting you. And the mind likes to judge that person and feel sorry for yourself. And it's created all of these stories to justify and to keep on being able to say that I am better than that person or I am worse than that person or I am different to that person. or You're right. All of this narrative of separation. Yet when you breathe and you go into this altered state, you see the illusion behind it. You see that that person was hurt themselves and you see why it happened. And this natural... M- empathy. Yeah, and like um movement towards forgiveness comes, right? Because from that empathy just arises forgiveness. And you see yourself. Yes. You see like, oh, that's me too. Like, I felt like that and maybe I've done that exact same thing to someone else. Yes. And then you see beyond the story that your mind is telling you. And that's why it's liberating. That's why it it takes you to a new level of consciousness because you're seeing that same thing from an elevated state beyond the ego, beyond the mind. Beyond the story of you, you know? Definitely. And what's left is togetherness, connection, love. And that is the most beautiful part of the breathing is that it takes us to that place where we're just happy with nothing. Mm. Because again, if you don't need people not to hurt you, it's pretty relaxing, right? If you need people to make sure, if you need to make sure people don't hurt you, it's very anx- anxiety inducing because, yes. hey, that's life, right? We're going to keep getting hurt. So instead of worrying about it and trying to control it, let's just embrace it. Let's deal with every pain as it comes. Let's take the lessons from it. Let's take the blessing. And at the end of the day, there's only two ways to open the heart falling in love and breaking your heart. So, (laughs) like whichever one, you know, the universe will send us, we should embrace. And I think that is the most powerful thing about breathing that you learn to just surrender to the emotion of any experience. And when you do that, there's very little anxiety. There's nothing left to be anxious about. Mm. wow. That was lovely.
1: (laughs) Really enjoying listening
0: to you. Those breaths got me inspired. I was really tired before we started actually I was like giving up on getting our mic sounding good and curling up on the sofa over there with just nine breaths you know getting that flow of energy moving through your system.
1: And also because there's so much power to it right the practice it has so much potential and it can really have a beautiful impact on a lot of people's lives so your enthusiasm comes from there because you have seen firsthand what an impact it can have on someone's life. Definitely. I mean, even
0: just in the last year, there have been so many stories at Sanya of so people. It's once a month, right? Um, we're not doing it quite so often as once a month, the holotropic style breathing. Um, we do it maybe every two to three months now because it's quite an intensive experience. But we're doing a lot of light breath work um, and a lot of one-on-one sessions and short courses and... Yeah, just getting people to breathe in any way that is, you know, doesn't have to be that very vigorous way, but even just slowing the breath, even just a practice like watching your breath for five minutes, for example. Um, I had a really interesting experience with someone who couldn't feel her breath. She couldn't feel the air coming in and out of her nostrils. And, she, you know, that in itself is is quite a mind-blowing realization to realize that We're so disconnected from our body, we're so living in our mind that we can't feel Mm -hmm. the breath coming into the nostrils. So even just like for, for anyone listening, even just spend five minutes just watching your breath, not moving it, not breathing deeper, just watching it and asking yourself, how do I know that I'm breathing? And look for the signs, look for the signs in your body into the chest, into the belly, like notice any muscle that is moving or twitching or being activated by the breathing process. And even that in itself, it's so powerful. I mean, we take over 20,000 breaths a day. So if we had to commit 1% of our breaths a day, that would be 200 breaths. So if we can't even find 1%, <laughs> right, of our time um, to dedicate to ourself, then, uh, then we have to ask ourselves like, what we're doing, <laughs> right? Like, um, perhaps it's a bit unfair because obviously when we're sleeping, we're also breathing. So we're counting those breaths, but really 200 breaths is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 10 rounds of 20 breaths you can change your life with that. You can change your physical health, you can change your mental resilience to stress, you can change your emotional perception of your feelings and the beauty of the world. So it is, you know, you're breathing anyway. (laughs) It's right there, it's free. Just breathe. It's that simple.
1: (laughs) Wow, thank you. Okay, that was beautiful. I feel quite soft and relaxed and inspired Beautiful Maybe I can just end on this note
0: of letting everyone know That we've started a Facebook group Called the Sanya Go Within Community Where from time to time I will just be popping in with some lives Guiding breathing exercises for free Just to keep people breathing Keep people in the zone And support people on their practice So if anyone listening um, You can just message Sanya You should find it in in a Google search Or in a Facebook search But if not, just message us which is like an extra inspiration mm-hmm. to support people. And not just myself, but other people from the Sanya team will be guiding these exercises.
1: Oh, nice. That's great. Super. Thank you, guys. I feel really relaxed. <laughs>
0: you, look, you look super relaxed. feel oh, really relaxed.
1: <laughs>
0: you can just, like, pop on over to the float tank and have a nap. Uh-huh. <laughs> Super. So thank you everyone for listening. Hope we inspired you to take a few more conscious breaths. <laughs> so yeah, maybe once you've had this podcast, you can just take nine breaths like we did at the beginning and just give yourself that oxygen. Um, as always, if you found this episode useful in any way, please share it with someone who's uh, who could benefit from it. Our intention with these podcasts is to support people on the Go Within journey. We are building a community here of like-minded people who are also, you know, walking that path to get to know themselves better. It's a beautiful path, but it's a path that can get frustrating at times and even lonely. And there is nothing more beautiful than you know, finding that friend or that moment along the way that is like the water in the desert to keep you, you know, in that flow towards yourself. So that's what we aim to be here, a resource for you all, a support, a community, a place where we can all support each other. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And uh, see you next time. Thank you, Al.